Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shell. Today, I'm joined by my favorite Australian and yours, Josh Lloyd, the host of the very popular Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast, to answer some big questions about the New York Knicks. What kind of impact will Dante DiVincenzo make? What will the starting five ultimately look like? And what happens in the doomsday scenario? We might have to do a full episode on this one if Julius Randle gets hurt. That next. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Tucks left. Now fires it. And he's fired. And he's fired. Anthony for three. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA to enter promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off, we promise. Um, Josh is going to talk about Bird Dogs a little bit later in the episode, but I had to, I had to very quickly note, uh, I am currently on vacation in Arizona, and I have worn my Bird Dog shorts every single day. So big shout out to Bird Dogs for uh, giving us a few pairs and a hearty recommendation to you guys there about as comfortable and as good as any shorts I have ever owned. Um, I want to thank you for making Lockdown Knicks your first listen today and every day. We are now available on all platforms. And if you're tuning in every day on all platforms, well, that would make you an everydayer and that would make you one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. If you want to fit in that very elite company, all you have to do is subscribe on YouTube, hit that notifications bell so you never, ever miss an episode. And uh, be sure to do the same on your audio podcast platform of choice. And I also want to remind you that we're now on subtext. So if you don't want the fun to end on the podcast, well, uh, now you can continue the conversation offline and on your phone um, by texting Alex and I the link to do that. And the phone number to text is uh, in the episode description. So please go ahead, subscribe to that. We would love, love, love to get to talk to you. Um, but who's shilling for subs? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. Again, we, we are joined by our top host here at Locked On, Josh Lloyd. If you're not already a fan, I highly, highly encourage you to go check out Locked On Fantasy Basketball. It is utterly unmatched fantasy basketball coverage. Um, I have used it to uh, win multiple leagues in the past, and Josh has an extraordinary level of insight into the league, and you're about to see just how smart he is about the New York Knicks throughout this episode. And without further ado, let's get into it right now with Josh. We're here to talk some New York Knicks, a team that has been a little bit tough to project the last couple of seasons. It's been good, and then it's been bad, and it's, you know, fire everyone and trade everyone, and it's great again, and now we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it goes from here. There is a level of optimism around the Knicks, and we're going to talk about all of that in this show, but it is, uh, it, we're, on, we're, on the, we're on the peak here. We're on, we're on the rise. We'll see where it goes now, Gavin. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I've been a Knicks fan since the early 2000s. Um, and you could even go a little further back than that and say this is uh, the best state the team has been in. I think that's the, probably the right word for it. Obviously, they were very good in 12-13, and uh, that was not very sustainable because half the team was 36 or older. So, uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. Yeah, you, I, I think you're right. Like, yeah, I've clammed on the Knicks plenty of times in the past because they deserved it. But 
at the moment, things are look looking much better. That doesn't preclude things going off the rails, and there are still some question marks on certain players and situations on this team, as there is for every team that we're going to talk about. But things are looking a lot better. First round playoff victory last season against the Cleveland Cavaliers weren't much of a match for the Heat, but that doesn't matter. They're they're building and they're looking pretty good. Now let's talk about how the team looks. They weren't very active in the offseason, Gavin, just a few moves and really only one that matters, really. Dante DiVincenzo comes in. They also get Nathan Knight, Jalen Martin, and Dylan Winler to come on two ways, and they lose Obi Toppin, Derek Rose, and Trevor Keels. But this is the change here. It is Dante DiVincenzo in, Obi Toppin out. And let me just address this straight away. That's a power forward gone for another guard, and there are no other power forwards really on this team. So I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Is Tom Thibodeau playing small ball? He's being forced to play small ball yeah. <laughs> very intentionally because we've learned many a time he will not do so on his own volition. Just wait. It's uh, Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein uh, together is what's going to happen, isn't it? I mean, that that is what happened last year when Obi yeah. Toppin got hurt. So you know what? You can't. You, 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 it's a joke, but also it, it really happened. And you know what? They, they actually played exceptionally well during that stretch. So what, what, what do we know, Josh? Who, who are we to make fun of Tibbs? But um, I, I think this was kind of a calculated move by the front office to force them to at least off the bench, play RJ Barrett, play Josh Hart at power forward, because at least on the offensive end, they functionally used Obi Toppin as if he were a wing or a guard. He was stationed on the perimeter, wasn't really played to his strengths as a ball screener and a rim runner. Um, And that's obviously something, I mean, if you're going to use him that way, Dante DiVincenzo is better at all those things. Josh Hart is better at all those things. RJ Barrett, maybe better at all those things um so i i think i think it's a smart move and there just there really isn't a backup power forward in the east that's going to make the knicks pay for that now if julius randall gets hurt that's where you might have some issues yeah i think they're cooked if julius randall gets hurt too, to be honest but that's a question i'm going to ask you later on but it is an interesting thing to do because what i also think is that josh hart and rj barrett function better playing as power forwards they might not that size, but that's what their game is anyway. You can't rely upon them to shoot from the outside. Um, yeah, Barrett's a, a bigger body who can drive a little bit. Hart's an aggressive rebounder and defender. Like They actually play better. Uh, I'd rather Josh Hart play the four than be forced into playing the two. Honestly, I, I think that's a much better situation. It does lead to some concerns, again, if Randall gets hurt. And uh, that's why I was somewhat critical of... I wasn't critical of DiVincenzo contract because in a vacuum, four for 54, whatever it was, is amazing value. I, I think he's a great player. I think that's absolutely worth it. My thing is, how does it make sense with Hart and Quickly and Barrett and Brunson and now DiVincenzo, where they're all theoretically all the similar sort of players, who, and Grimes who plays similar positions, where it's like, okay, there's a lot of overlap here. We're going to have to see changes in roles from some of these guys. Also, you could criticize them for trading Obi Toppin for nothing, but once you make the mistake of making the draft pick, you can just keep making mistakes forever and not do anything about it, but like, just, all right, he's gone. We'll do something different. And I think that's, that's totally fine. You're not going to get anything back for him. He wasn't good. You never showcased him. You never gave him an opportunity. You were never going to get anything more back. You accepted your mistake and you moved on. And I think that's, I think that's a sign of a positive front office. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, Obi certainly had some flashes. I, I think well, I mean, last five games of 21-22, put up 27 points a game. Last five games this year, similar numbers. Like he, he showed he can certainly be an excellent offensive player in this league. When given a real opportunity, that opportunity was just never going to come uh, with Julius Randle leading the way on the Knicks. As for the DiVincenzo comment, I think it was an insurance signing in a lot of ways. Um with the possibility of a big trade, um, which may be something we're going to get into, always being on the horizon for Leon Rose, always nominally the agenda. Um, I think there's an expectation that one of quickly Grimes or Barrett will be dealt at some point this year. And at the latest, 
next offseason. And I think DiVincenzo is a guy saying like, hey, you, you lose someone like that. is a pretty good player you can slot into that position. Yeah, totally. Look, and that's what I say. The, the contract for him is really good. And when that opportunity opens up, no problem. Now, the thing you mentioned there is like, there's always a big trade in the horizon. But but is there? Like, they we hear about it. It never, ever seems to happen. And they seem very, which is totally okay. They seem very reluctant to do it. And I've got no problem with that. But the whispers are always there. But I don't know if that's a real thing or if it's just New York media being, well, a trade's going to come. Or well, let's just throw the Knicks into a discussion about a big trade. Because when was the last big 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 trade they pulled off i can't even think maybe there's something just blank in my mind i can't think of anything it was it was carmelo anthony yeah. that was, that was uh, last, 11 years ago uh, 10 years 12 yeah, years ago at, at least yeah um yeah i think they know they have the assets i guess to be in that conversation would be that would be the best way to frame it and i i think to your point on divincenzo's contract something this front office has done really well is, is i think essentially all their contracts are positive value and have aged really well. I mean, RJ, I would say is the worst one. And you could, you could still make a pretty good case, especially given how he played in the playoffs, that that's kind of a neutral value deal. And I, I think there could be a smaller deal trade or, or just trying to turn one of those guards into a bigger wing. There's a number of directions they can go, but I, I think the whole point of DiVincenzo was to give them more flexibility. And I, I think arguably in the meantime, again, given the role that OB was playing offensively, like make them better even if some of these guys are not getting the right amount of minutes. And, and that's where I think things could get a little bit slippery from last year where, where the vibes were so good. Let's talk about Julius Randle because he sprained his ankle at the end of the regular season. He came back for the playoffs. He clearly wasn't right. He looked terrible. Uh, he's had terrible playoffs in the past. So is it to do with his ankle? Is it to do with the way the playoffs go? It could be a bit of both. But he did have ankle surgery in the offseason. Are we expecting him to be ready to go for training camp? Yeah, he should, he should be 100% healthy for a training camp. And look, that, that was a question we were all asking. It was it was, it was tough to to gauge because at times he it looked like he could still move. It looked like he could still be pretty explosive. And then you'd see plays where he get his pocket picked at midcourt and he kind of just shrugs his shoulders and, and doesn't really even try to jog back. So there was certainly some inconsistent effort in the playoffs, but he also he needed major surgery this mm. offseason. And you, you got to give him some credit for battling it out. Um, the Knicks certainly still needed him. Obi wasn't really ready for that stage. Um, but he's he's going to be my swing factor coming into this season, Josh, because we, we, we you mentioned the Knicks up, down, up, down. That directly correlates with how Julius Randle has played um, in his four-year tenure. Yep, exactly. It's It really, he's for as much as we don't, more, um, I don't think you do, but I don't think he's their best player. He Everything does surround what he does, whether he is good, he is bad, he is playing team-centric ball, he is pouting he is giving no effort whatever he's doing it's all to do with him really that's that's how the season's going to go and we'll see how that ankle injury impacts it we'll get to your starting lineup in a second but today's episode is brought to you by bird dogs and people are going to be real shocked to know that i am wearing bird dogs again i cannot get these things off and i'm waiting for my next shipment to come because they are the best shorts that i've ever worn they're the most comfortable things you could possibly ever wear and this is what this copy says. Bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. I wouldn't be able to tell you what Lululemon feels like, but I know that it's going to be impossible for them to be better than what bird dogs feels like. Now, they have invented something called cloud knit fabric. It looks just like khaki, but it stretches. So you get that nice slimmer fit without having to sacrifice any movement. When you get these bird dogs, you're going to put them on. You're going to go, man, how did I live without my bird dog shorts? They're fantastic, and they've got this great new deal as well. So you go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. You enter the promo code LockedOnNBA, and you get a free white tech hat. That's birddogs.com. I can't show you the hat yet. It hasn't arrived. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. Well, the promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you, and I promise you, I've got them on. But, you know, you have to pay extra for legs. Let's go through to your projected starting five. Gavin, 
it is the same projected starting five that I have. And I tweeted this out yesterday, two days ago when this show's released. And I got pushback, and I didn't think I would. Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. I had many people go, ah, it's not going to be Grimes. It'll be Josh Hart that starts. And I I don't agree. Okay, talk me through it. What is, why am I getting pushback? Because I'm not embedded in Nick's discussion or Nick's fandom as much as what you are. Why am I getting pushback of Grimes starting over Josh Hart? It, it might be that Hart, I mean, got that opportunity in the playoffs, but I, I don't see any way that's the case to start the regular season. The Knicks were actually dramatically better in the playoffs when Quentin Grimes was on the floor. And that was despite him not shooting very well because he's one of the few guys in that starting lineup that, gets respect from the perimeter um, and gets guarded out on the perimeter mm. and gets treated like a capital S shooter. And you absolutely need that around Jalen Brunson, who, who who worked magic, honestly, to get the Knicks to the third best offense in basketball. And statistically, uh, this is an incredible statement, but it was true. One of the five best offenses in NBA history, given that they were a little bit less of a toilet bowl than in last year's because Julius Randle really upped his number of three-point attempts. But Randle was still at only 35% from three. R.J. Barrett was right around 31% from three the whole year. Mitchell Robinson is about as much of a magnet to the basket as there is any human being in existence in the NBA. Um, so you absolutely need Quinn Grimes out there. I would also argue he's a better defender than Josh Hart. Um, and, and he started, obviously, pretty much all of last year. So I'd be shocked at that change. The, the, the shift that I would argue for is Emmanuel quickly in that starting lineup over R.J. Barrett. That's not something that's going to happen, but quickly was exceptional as a starter a year ago. So if there was going to be a change, I would hope it would be that. Again, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'll be the same lineup that it was for most of last year. Yeah, it's not going to be quickly over Barrett, but I think it will be quickly over Barrett at the end of games. And we saw plenty of success with that sort of situation. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But you're right, Grimes is the best shooter out of that group. He's the most deadly in terms of spacing. And while you say he is a better defender than Josh Hart, I, I do agree with that. It's it's That's a little bit unfair to Josh Hart because Josh Hart's still the let's just say second best perimeter defender on this team. I won't count Mitchell Robinson in that group. So yeah, he is better than him, but Hart's still really good. But Grimes is a better option there, but they've got other op- other guys there. But I, I agree. Like it doesn't mean that Hart's going to play fewer minutes than Grimes. He might, it might be one fewer minute, but it's not like Josh Hart came across and played 38 minutes a night straight after the trade. He settled into this little bench role and how the minutes get distributed will be really interesting. Now, last season, Tom Thibodeau, again, I'll clown on this bloke so many times because he does dumb things often and he has throughout his career. But when he made the decision, which goes against his ethos 100%, to take Evan Fournier out of the lineup, Derek Rose, he's you know the guy that he's loved forever, out of the lineup, and replace them with younger, unproven players, that is completely against what Tom Thibodeau does, and it worked. So we're going to go back to this nine-man rotation, and the only difference here is Dante DiVincenzo replaces Obi Toppin. Remember, Juice McBride was in there until the Josh Hart trade, so you're going to have quickly Hart, Hartenstein, and DiVincenzo. I don't really have a huge amount to talk about there, but what the query is going to be is how do I quickly played 30 minutes a night last season. Josh Hart played 30 minutes a night. Um, DiVincenzo played 26 for the Warriors. Obi Toppin played 12 last season. So who is losing out here? Or are we seeing a sub 30 minute RJ Barrett? I th- That's the direction I would go. Um, I, I think it's going to be a little bit less for for just every one of the guards. Like, I, I don't see any way you make this work and, and you justify giving Dante DiVincenzo, um, how, what, what is it, $14 million a year mm. um, without everyone losing a couple of minutes here and there. Um, there's just there's just no real way around it. Unless they go truly small and play Julius Randle at center, which again, Tom Thibodeau has never shown any appetite to do um, outside of a couple of desperate 
fourth quarters where they were already down by 20 points. I'd love to see the stats, and I don't have them in here. I reckon he played three minutes total at center last season, and then they were like a plus 20 net rating in that time, and then he went, no, 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 that was too good for me. I'm not going to do that. We've got to go yeah, back nah. to this centers who never wouldn't, touched. Wouldn't want that. Wouldn't never want touched to win the that ball. Way. There was that, was that one game, and then him and Toppin were playing the four and the five, and they had this huge comeback, and then the next game, we didn't see it ever, and it just never reappeared again. I th- I'm pretty sure it happened once last season. You'd know more than me, but I do vague, I do distinctly remember that one game where it happened, and they had this massive fourth quarter, and then we just never saw it again, because that is the stubbornness that is. Tom Thibodeau. This is an interesting team because there's only two players on this roster under the age of 23. There are a bunch of guys like Quickly who's just turned 24. There's um, Barrett who's just turned 23 who was young, but I'm using this focus, youth focus as guys under 23. There's only two of them. It's Juice McBride and Jalen Martin as they had no draft picks and Jalen Martin, even the other two-way guys they brought in, Dylan Windler and, and Nathan Knight are both 26 or Windler's almost 27. So there's not a lot happening here. McBride did crack the rotation last season. He's on, going to be on the outskirts here, but he's. would you say that he's firmly is that sort of 10th guy in Tibbs' rotation that you know, when someone gets hurt, that he's just going to step in and have a little bit more trust? Yeah, I, look, I, I, think he's, I think he's one of the luxury pieces in the NBA. Like To have someone who's that elite of a defender um, as a 10th guy, it is a great option. And I think on, on different teams, he would be a surefire rotation player if his shot fully comes around last year. Year. Um, it was in the low 30s in the G League in the past. He's put up uh, 40% shooting from distance on high volume. So there, there's probably some internal confidence that if, he, if he's ever to get sustained minutes, that could come along. Um, but I, I think similar to a lot of guys with Tibbs, like w- when those minutes aren't assured, you, you see um, kind of rollicking and inconsistent confidence in their ability to shoot. And in turn, you get inconsistent results. Um, and yeah, Jalen Martin, just just sort of an upside bet coming out of the overtime elite league. No thoughts on Dimitro Skipinsev, who was signed to an Exhibit 10. Some of the guys that the Nets, the Nets, the Knicks signed uh, to their Exhibit 10s, uh, Obadiah Noel and Dimitro Skipinsev. I was like, okay, we're, we're, we're joking. Gosh, I, I, did not, I did not know the latter name existed until you just said <laughs> Which, it. So uh, that's, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's an indictment on me. Obadiah Noel and Dimitro Skipinsev. Uh, yeah, they're two recent signings. But I reckon there is a lot of people who are watching this, and I don't know why I'm going to mention this, but I am, that don't know that Isaiah Roby and Daquan Jeffries play for the Knicks because those 14 and 15 roster spots on the Knicks never play and the two-way guys play like two minutes a night for four games they just never played and that part of that is some injury luck and the tightness of the rotation but these guys at the end of the bench they they just never get out there and it's been about three four years in a row that we just never see them yeah i I mean look i I think there's a world again where julius randall gets hurt all of a sudden nathan knight's really important isaiah roby's really important Uh, the next yes roby is very important in that situation the, the, the Knicks the Knicks took a couple a couple of swings at at that spot and again questionable if either of them could provide much of anything but there, again there's a world for a ten game stretch where one or two of those guys becomes really essential. I'll make an argument here. Um, it doesn't really matter because Obi Toppin plays for the Pacers now. I think Isaiah Roby is a better player than Obi Toppin or has shown more as a player in the NBA than Obi Toppin has over the course of their career. Not saying he can ever develop into anything more, but he's not a bad player. And he's just sort of hidden at the bottom of that bench. And if he gets a chance, I think he'll surprise a few people. Now, this is the question that I was referring to earlier on. Is an injury to Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson worse for the Knicks? I know what my answer is. Uh, I think pretty clearly Julius Randle. And, mm. and, and, and to, to what you inferred earlier, I, I think Jalen Brunson is clearly a better player. Um, I think what he did in the playoffs has kind of gotten under 
appreciated maybe in the national discourse just because the Knicks went out. Like you, you flash back to that game six. He was, he was going one on five at times against the Miami heat. The rest of the Knicks, I can't remember the, the final numbers were something like 27 of 76 from the field in that game. And they were uh, a possession away from forcing a game seven at home. Just Jalen Brunson was just that good, just that brilliant. And yet, you look at the guy who replaces Jalen Brunson when he gets, when he gets hurt. Yeah. It is Emmanuel Quickly, who last season as a starter here, let me let me find it. I have the, I have the stats for you. Um, he put up 23 points, five assists, five rebounds, shot 47% from the field, 40% from three, 85% from the line with elite defense. That is a borderline all-star in the Eastern Conference. Julius Randle, we, we just told you the names who are replacing him. It, it is um, apologies to... Uh, Isaiah Roby's Oklahoma City resume. It, it is no one who has had incredible NBA success so far. And, and again, you have a coach who probably does not want to start Josh Hart at the power forward, probably does not want to start R.J. Barrett at the power forward. So I, I, I think Julius is absolutely essential on both ends of the floor, even if his defensive effort is very inconsistent, just what he brings as a body with his physicality and, and, and the ceiling-type plays he can make on that end. They absolutely cannot afford to lose him for any um, extended stretch of time. Last year when we did when I did this preview, I can't remember if it was with you or with Alex, we did it last year. Part of my concern with Brunson coming over was will Julius Randle and RJ Barrett seed shots to enable him to be the number one usage player on this team? And Barrett did. Randle didn't really. He still took more shots per hundred possessions than what Brunson did. It's it was close. Twenty-four point four versus twenty-five point four per hundred. Is this the year that we see the, the the switch there where Brunson does take more of those shots, or is that just too hard to get out of Randall's game? I, I think it is going to – the gap is going to narrow, and I, I would hope Brunson would be taking more shots. The, we, we, can, we can get into this a little bit more later, Josh, but the, but the biggest area where he needs to be a little bit more of a chuck is from three-point range. Last season, he took just 4.7 threes per game despite hitting just under 42% of them. Compare that to someone like Luca, who took eight. Dame took 11, Tatum took nine, Donovan Mitchell took nine, Kyrie Irving took eight. Julius Randle took eight threes per game last year. So Jalen Brunson needs to up that three-point volume. It was it was kind of the first year in his career he really dabbled in self-created threes, and he was, he was shockingly good at it, given um, in Dallas he was not only low volume but low efficiency on those types of attempts. Um, that That's a pretty easy area. You look you look at him doubling up those attempts or coming close to that for him to go from a 24 point per game score to closer to a 30 point per game score. I'd love him to do it. I just don't know that he can do it. And you're right. He shot 42%. He actually shot 45% from three over the final 50 games of the season, which is insane. But there is a player who reminds me a little bit of Jalen Brunson. He's not the, the same player as Jalen Brunson now, but had some moments like this who had these high three point shooting numbers, but when it never never was able to really get that volume up. And if he ever did attempt it, that the efficiency would plummet. And that's Malcolm Brogdon. When you'd see him shoot 42% from three, he'd do it on like three attempts a game. He'd go, how about you take a few more, mate? And then he'd do it and he'd be at 31%. Then he'd go back to high percentage on high volume. Brunson's always been a guy that's been around 28 to 30% of his shots coming from three. Exact same number last season. And he hits them at a decent rate. He just doesn't take very many of them. So I do worry. And that's part of the thing when we look at fantasy projection for next season. Look at his numbers. 42% from three. That's awesome. 45 over the last 50. But that might not stick at that level. And if that goes to 50% of his shots from three, then you'd expect that to come down pretty sizably. And that was one of the other concerns with him is he just doesn't generate steals at a high rate. And well, they're up a little bit. They are relatively low. So he was awesome. His efficiency was through the roof, but when you look at 
even like the final 10 games of last season, 60% from two and 46% from three. I tell you which direction that can go. It's only one way and it's down. So there are there are some worries if you're just looking at projecting, well, it's a trajectory going up. Well, there's only one way that sort of stuff can come down with Brunson. Now, I talked about this a little bit earlier. Has, has Tibbs softened? I talked about playing small ball a little bit more and getting the young guys in, but we have criticized, rightfully so, and I've done it a lot, him for his playing time and minutes. It wasn't that bad. Randall played 36, Brunson played 35, Barrett played 34 minutes, should have been fewer, but he wasn't in that insane situation where they're 50 points up with 10 minutes to go and everyone's playing to the final 30 seconds. Has Tom Thibodeau learnt multiple lessons in one season? It's it's fascinating because sometimes it feels like it does. He he did, and and other times it's like, oh no, same same old Tibbs. <laughs> um, I I was really impressed with what he did during the regular season. I mean, you you mentioned um removing Rose and Fournier from the rotation. Like he was, you you could go back to what SNYZ and Begley was reporting at the time. He he was quite literally coaching for his job and, and pushed against yeah. the wall. He said, all right, why don't I just ride ride with the guys I actually think is the best, which of, of course, ideally you would, you as an NBA coach, Josh, you would do to start the season, but you what know what, not, not, not just for Tibbs for a lot of teams, it doesn't always work that way. And it, they, they were fantastic over that stretch. Like he, he didn't purely do hockey line rotations as he did his first three years on the Knicks, even though the lineups largely stayed the same. Um, he, whether it was him or his staff, like continued to derive like pretty consistent improvement out of the younger guys on this team. Um, got RJ Barrett to pass more um, over the second half of the season, and particularly in the playoffs. And, and then you got to the postseason, and and you ran into some walls with him. And and the most notable one was something I was referencing earlier: Josh Hart, who was um, against all odds an incredible three point shooter for the Knicks in the regular season, stopped hitting shots and at points stopped wanting to take shots. RJ Barrett, of course, was still very inconsistent from range, and yet he continued to start those guys next to Jalen Brunson. Um, and he continued to uh, not play Quinn Grimes' big minutes ag- again until he was just pushed against the wall, and then he finally did. And lo and behold, the Knicks won game five and, and nearly won game six, even though he didn't play Grimes down the stretch. But that was another one of those things that was just exceptionally frustrating to watch. And you can say that in one breath, and you can say in the other breath, like he made like brilliant, consistent adjustments against the Cleveland Cavaliers and like completely outcoached J.B. Bickerstaff and allowed the Knicks in a series where they arguably less talent to – completely dominate. So there was some really good stuff and there was some really bad stuff with Tom Thibodeau. All right, guys, that is it for part one of this conversation with Josh because we ran so long. Uh, We're going to have another very special episode on Monday and then we'll probably run part two of this one on Tuesday. Really excited to get into that. We answer um, some more big Knicks questions, including who the most likely guys are to get traded, who's likely to break out. Uh, you might know who it is if you've been listening to this podcast all offseason, and who is a regression candidate for the New York Knicks before Josh and I play a Knicks-themed version of the Immaculate Grid, which was super-duper fun. I did okay. You, you can watch for yourself and judge my performance. Um, but until then, we will talk to you very, very soon on Locked on Knicks.